personalized learning provides me the opportunity to introduce them or get them or, or, or get them started on the level that they already help them grow and mature and, and to matriculate where they need to where they need to grow. During this time of comprehensive online learning, the number one question we have been hearing from teachers is how to engage students. In our last episode, we talked about a variety of general strategies, especially ones that could be used during a Google Meet, to increase student engagement. In this episode, we take a broader view and examine how personalized learning can encourage students to take a more active role in the classroom. Welcome to Digital Learning, hosted by the Digital Learning Coordinators of Wake County Public Schools. You can listen to us on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and Google. To access our show notes, visit our website, dlc.wcpss.net. There you'll find contact information for your Digital Learning Coordinator, our monthly newsletter, and other resources. So sit back and enjoy the show. To learn more about the concept of personalized learning overall, we first spoke to Amanda Clayton, who is a senior admin for personalized and blended learning in Wake County. Hi, my name is Amanda Clayton, and I am the senior administrator for personalized and blended learning with Wake County Public School System. Um, before this job, I worked in middle and high schools teaching science and social studies, and then as a curriculum facilitator. So personalized learning is one of those terms that kind of means something different depending on who you ask and what your context is. Um, so I like to point people to the North Carolina has sort of given us our own definition for personalized learning. And that comes from the Every Student Succeeds Act, which some of our listeners will be familiar with. Um, and the Every Student Succeeds Act is basically um, an outline or a template to make sure that all the different groups of students, all the subgroups, all the different racial and ethnic groups, all the different economic groups of students are all progressing and learning um, and meeting those benchmarks as we're teaching them. And so within that plan, one of the strategies they give us is personalized learning. And they break it down into four different pillars of personalized learning. Um, and so those pillars are learner profile, individual learning paths, competency-based progression, and flexible learning environments. Um, and those, each of those pillars is really a major strategy where you can see a lot of student engagement um, just within itself. So in our show notes, we've included a clip of Amanda um, going into each pillar in more detail to give a better picture of what each one means. But the thing about personalized learning is it might feel like something new, for a lot of people, but there's already some seeds there in many classrooms. A lot of teachers are already doing things uh, that, that are going to grow really well into a more formalized or more developed personalized learning program. Yeah, to me, I'm not sure if it's a true connection, but when I was a teacher in a classroom, I think of differentiation and maybe in my own way, whether I knew it or not, maybe I was attempting to do some personalized learning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, when teachers get to know their kids um, and, you know, do do interest surveys, like I flipped my classroom for a while. And so part of my, my, um, my not my interest survey, but my learner profile at the beginning of the year asked, what kind of access to technology do you have? So it's all about that being able to ask those questions to develop uh, a program of instruction that works for your kids. Yeah, I remember I actually got a grant and was able to get some technology into my classroom. 
And I remember myself being very excited of being, you know, kind of almost one-to-one in my class. Mm. And some students actually requested to stick to paper, pencil, and book. They, they didn't like to use the technology. And so I allowed them to select which way they wanted to complete the activities and lessons and assignments. And like you said, you know, maybe we've been doing some personalized learning. We just didn't maybe call it that at that time or, you know, really label it that way. Right. And the nice thing about the whole learner profile pillar of personalized learning is it connects really well to our digital portfolio initiative, which is something we're all doing. Um, And so Amanda shared a little bit with us about some of the ways that you can use learner profiles and some of the things to just keep an eye out for and best practices when you're doing a learner profile. To really increase student engagement is instead of letting that be a one-time thing, that you're really referencing and using that learning profile throughout the school year. So as you start a new unit, you're having students refer back to their profile and looking and saying, where can we make connections to the interests you identified in your profile? Or you said this was an area where you struggle. How can we work on this area with this, within this unit of instruction? Or where did you really see that you made progress and grew in the last unit of instruction so students can add to that profile over time and it becomes a living document instead of just a one-time activity that you're doing with kids. And a lot of our teachers in Wake are doing a great job with that through their digital portfolios. So that digital portfolio actually becomes that living learner profile that students are consistently updating, sharing, and using to reflect on their learning. In addition to Amanda's expertise, we spoke with Tavisha Smith, a teacher who has been implementing personalized learning in her classroom as part of a school-wide focus. Well, good morning and good afternoon, wherever it may be. My name is Tavisha Smith, and I'm a fifth-grade intervention teacher at Rogers Lane Elementary School, where our school focuses on personalized learning. I taught middle school for about two years, and Rogers Lane was opening in 2017. Um, and To be honest with you, I just got whisked into it, thrown into it, because that is what our school does. That is the that is what our school specializes in. So personalized learning is what we talk about. It's our language um, It's what we're used to. Um, So it's like one of those things you're thrown into. And as you get thrown into it, you, you develop it as you go throughout the years. This is our fourth year as a school, and we are getting stronger with it each year as it goes. Um, Like I said, it's a part of our language. It's part of what we do. Um, It's part of who we are. Um, And I continue to make that part of um, what I do. When it comes down to it, personalized learning is, you know, Amanda mentioned those four pillars, but it's basically about knowing your learners, providing that choice and ownership, and having that flexible environment. And one really common way of doing that is having choice boards, playlists, and pathways, um, which are different ways to get content and activities to kids uh, with allowing them some of that choice and, um, and ownership. So kind of the biggest difference between choice boards, playlists, and pathways, with a choice board, it's kind of that, like when we think about those tic-tac-toe boards, um, you know, you might use those in your classroom. I know I had tic-tac-toe boards um, where the kids got to choose, you know, three in a row, or they had to choose one from each column or something. And so it's providing a lot of that choice. All of the, all of the activities are content relevant. They're all part of the learning goals, but they allow kids to choose the types of activities they want to do. 
playlists and pathways are a little bit more structured in terms of giving the kids the list of activities they're going to do. Um, playlists are typically you, you go through these lists of activities. Pathways are a little more differentiated where you can say, okay, if you um, maybe if you took this assessment and you finished this way, you go this path. If you took it this, finished it this way, you go this path. Or if you prefer this style of learning, you go this path. Um, and the nice thing about like a playlist is you can have the kids start where they need to, um, even though they might all follow it in order. Uh, they don't all have to necessarily start at the same place. Speaking of choice boards, I've added a choice board to the show notes. We did a podcast in season two with Michael Meehan from Westlake Middle School, and he has a choice board I felt was very impressive and offered a lot of choices for students to choose different categories, for example, verbal, digital, physical, or artistic. So make sure you give that a look over. That would be something that would be more for the culmination of a unit of study. Yeah, and Tavisha gives a really good rundown of how she implements uh, personalized learning, kind of the logistics of it in her classroom. Typically, I look at, I always go back to the objectives, whatever we're learning for that week, that, um, that month, um, if it's EL, typically for that unit, um, I always try to go back and look at um, what are the key objectives, what do they need to know. I also like to go back and look at, from the intervention um, standpoint, I like to look at what do my kids need um, most the most help with. And I try to look at and develop activities centered around that. And when I'm making my playlists and choice boards, I always try to go back, like I said, to arts integration, things that's gonna take my kids, even though they're getting the help that they need um, in that specific content or, or that objective, I always try to think outside the box. What is something that may be a little bit different that they haven't done before? Um, and I put that in the playlist, I put it in the choice board. I always try to find something that it, it allows them to move um, allows them to sing, um, maybe rap, maybe um, create something with art because kids like certain things and if, and if we can tap into their interests, I try to make sure my choice board or playlist has that. Or I, And then I also try to make sure my, my choice board or playlist introduces them to something new. And sometimes I have to alter it because of the needs of my students. I know what they need. You know, some of my friends, I may say, it might be, and I, I, use the, I use it carefully because you always want to create choice for students. But I always say to my students, I say, maybe on your pathway or playlist, you may want to start somewhere where you may need a little bit more support. And our students, especially our older students, they know if I'm struggling in multiplication facts and Ms. Smith has done a fluency card game, maybe that's somewhere I think I need to start on my pathway and my playlist. And most of the times on the playlist, I have little checkpoints where they can check in with me and on the pathway as well, they can check in with me as well, where I, it's like five minutes, they come to me, we talk about what they did, and maybe I, and maybe I provide a little bit more support there. But on the, playlist and, on the playlist and on the pathway, there are little checkpoints. I make like little boxes that they check in, um, how they think it's going, they check off if they completed it. It gives an accountability sense as well. I try to balance my teaching between whole group, small group instruction, and then let them do um, pathways, playlists, or choice boards, whichever one that week I'm going to use. Um, I will say kids, when they come to me, they always, um, and I've gotten them started on maybe like a Monday or two, they like to start the week with it. They always say, are we going to finish our choice board this, this week or next week? I try to give them at least like a two-week time to get it done, especially if I'm meeting in small groups for 30 minutes. That's kind of hard and tricky to do, but we get it done. 
there for some of the activities, sometimes they do have to turn something into me so I can see what they have done. And sometimes they don't. Um, it varies depending on what the skill is and what the objective is. At the top of my choice board, I always put the skill in the, in the objective. Sometimes I may have an essential question just so we know where we are and what we're doing. I like my kids to know the learning outcomes. Why are we doing this? It's not just something um, because it's cute and it's pretty. Yes, we like that it's pretty, but I want them to know that um, the reason, the learning outcomes. So if someone asks you, what are you learning today? What are you doing? They can point to it and read it themselves and they know what they're learning. Personalized learning has a lot of different, you know, structures and layouts, but there's a lot of really big benefits to it. One of the benefits that uh, I really appreciate and Tavisha speaks to is that you can pull in so many of the four C's through your activity choices, through your content delivery. Um, you're able to bring in that those that creativeness and the, the communication pieces. And so uh, she really talks about how that's a benefit for her and why she likes doing personalized learning. With my teaching, it allows me to to develop activities and lessons that foster more communication, collaboration, um, creativity, and critical thinking skills, which is what they're going to need as they get older. Uh, I'm so used to teaching the upper grades, and so I always tell my learners that all the time. These are these are skills that you're going to have to take with you for the rest of your life, even as adults. I have to still communicate, collaborate, use critical thinking skills, and I have to use creativity in my everyday life as a teacher. So one thing I have a conversation with my wife about a lot of the times is I see her constantly planning and uh, she that's where she's at. That's what she has to do. And in my mind, I think it'd be beneficial to have all your planning done prior to a unit of study to free you up to then while you're going through that unit of study, use your time differently. And Amanda does a really great job of kind of explaining that in her story. My first introduction to personalized learning was really as a classroom teacher in middle school. And I had an experience with something called unit pages. And so this was pre-digital. Unit pages weren't necessarily a digital way of delivering instruction, but it was a very personalized way. And it's something I learned about at a conference I went to where you would plan a unit in advance and each learning objective in the unit would give students a choice in how they learned the information and how they showed that um, mastery of the objective. And so in my classroom at the time, I had only my teacher computer. And so students would have, I had folders available for each of those objectives. So they could go check out the folder, do the activity, create something to show their learning, and then put the folder back. And the computer was one option. It was a station. That's how I was using it at the time. Um, and what I found from that was that it did take a lot of time for me up front because I had to have the whole unit ready when we launched, whereas some teachers may be used to planning weekly and you don't have to have the whole unit ready when you launch. But because the whole unit was ready when I launched, my time in the classroom was really different and I could spend time with individual students or groups of students to really give them that personal attention, help scaffold their learning and give them really helpful feedback um, so that they were learning at the pace they needed to. And then I didn't need to spend my time planning for the rest of the unit. I could spend it on feedback, but the upfront time was a lot. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's more time, but it's a different way your time is structured. It, it does take time up front. Um, and then it allows you to really give good feedback and good personal attention to students during the learning process. The thing that I really take away from Amanda's experience 
is that idea of rearranging your time and being able to do the things that we know affect student performance. So, you know, if I've got all my planning done, that's going to free me up during the unit to give that actionable, that timely feedback that impacts student achievement. Like that's where kids are going to grow. The college courses I've taken were pre-built before the course was launched. Everything was there for the teacher or the instructor or the, or the professor. And they basically, you know, led us through the course and they weren't, you know, trying to stay a week ahead of all of us by creating it. It was there. Some of those may have been locked and not accessible, but they did exist. The course was done and it would be beneficial if as much as possible, we could have units of study or lessons done at, you know, weeks at a time and then be able to just, like you said, progress through that unit of study with the students and use our time uh, more effectively as far as feedback and small groups and having, you know, sessions with students where you can kind of talk to them like Devisha talked about as far as pulling students over and meeting with them just to see where they're at and to provide them some, you know, uh, reflection and feedback. So I think it'd be beneficial. Is it realistic? Is it possible? Is, am I saying something that teachers can't do? Um, I would, I would hope that maybe we, we could accomplish that. Do you think this is something that's realistic for teachers to accomplish with their workload and the demands that are placed upon them and everything else they have to do? Yeah, I think, you know, if you just think of it right away and you're like, whoa, no, I can't do this, you know, but there's a lot of things that teachers can keep in mind and a lot of resources that they can take advantage of, you know, one, just remembering, just like a lot of other strategies, this is an investment. So if you put in that little bit of work, extra work now, and of course, not that teachers aren't already working hard, but, you know, if you put in that little bit of extra work now, next year, it's ready to go you know, rely on your team. Like if you can create a little bit and somebody else on your team can create a little bit, work together. Uh, if you are not in a building with people teaching the same content as you, you know, there's people across the district. And so the other piece is to lean on your DLCs. They can help you plan out those, um, those concepts, those activities. They can help connect you with other people teaching your same content. You know, that's what we're here to do is to support teachers in, implementing these types of instructional strategies and models. That's actually one aspect I really enjoy doing is meeting with teachers, looking at their curriculum, looking at their standards and learning objectives and helping them map out. You know, yeah. I may not be there to walk through every lesson with them, you know, more of a big picture of a unit of study and helping them match various technology tools and resources to lessons and activities and kind of create more of a blueprint? Even though I use it just for that student, I start incorporating for everyone. Because if I see that, it, it, may, be, it may be something that, that can branch off to others in, in the classroom who may be able to um, benefit from that. So that was a success for me. Something as small as that, that's a, a success for me. I think Tavish has got a really good point here in that, you know, she might be designing for one student because one student has expressed their needs, but there is a really good chance that other kids need that as well. You know, how many times have we said, please ask a question because chances are 
somebody else has that same question. It's the same thing in your classroom. You know, if you've got one kid who's like, I really need this to be digital, or I really need it to be in this format, you know, if if it gets overwhelming thinking, oh, I'm doing this planning for one kid, chances are you're really benefiting and impacting many more in your class. Yeah, so that's something that I had a question for Amanda was, do we use like a spreadsheet to track like where a student is on a choice board or what where they are in a playlist or pathway, like in my mind, I would have to have something visual that I can see that I can add notations to in order to keep track of all this and stay organized. Yeah, she has some good advice for, you know, not getting overwhelmed and and how to stay organized. I think a lot of times teachers might be a little hesitant or feel a little overwhelmed by thinking about all four pillars at once. That could really lead to a paradigm shift in the way that you're teaching, which is awesome. But maybe we're not always ready for that right at first, especially right now if we're already having a paradigm shift in our instruction just because it's blended or hybrid. Um, And so I think it can be really helpful to start with one of those pillars as a framework to think about your instruction. Good instruction takes time. There's no way around that. Um, You know, there's no magic bullet where teachers can just press a key and everything happens and everybody's engaged. So it certainly does take time. What I recommend to teachers is to think about the four pillars of personalized learning. So again, that's your learner profile or your individualized pathway, competency-based progression, or a flexible learning environment. And I think it can be really helpful to choose one of those things to focus on at first and frame your instruction through that one pillar. Now, they're all connected. Like if you're doing individual learning pathways, you're probably also doing competency-based progression. But focusing on one of those pillars gives you a good place to start that's not too overwhelming for you or students. It's not like you have to change everything all at one time. So I've seen a wide variety of systems for that. It seems that each teacher kind of figures out what works best for them. Um, So some teachers do have literally a spreadsheet with each student's name and which lesson they might be working on. Um, A lot of teachers create a weekly sheet for students especially in lower grades where they'll actually like highlight or circle, this is what you're working on right now, um, or have the student learn to do that. And so that way the student has a quick check and the teacher can meet with the student, look at their notebook and have a quick check about where they should be working as well. Um, In a system like Canvas, you can actually set um, assessments so that students are starting with a particular one and you can look at your grade book to see where students are working. Um, within the assessments that you've assigned to them. So there's a variety of strategies. I think it maybe takes a little trial and error to figure out what works best for you. So at the end of the day, it's about student engagement and then being able to own their own learning. I kind of think of that in a way of how I've taught in the past is kind of maybe could be called cookie cutter, where I had kind of one approach and expected all students to be able to respond to my one approach and you know learning from experiences and, of course, today's topic it kind of seems like you know students are really who we're trying to help they're our target audience and for me in my mind i have to realize that you know my one way of doing something may not be impacting all of them that i may have to actually change a little bit of my own practice and delivery and invest in personalized learning in order to get the most bang for my buck so to say and in order to benefit the students as much as possible yeah, and it, it really is about that mindset, that that kind of paradigm shift of thinking about teaching and learning in a different way. And I really like hearing 
Tavisha and Amanda's kind of thoughts and philosophies on personalized learning overall? You can really see, I can really see that they love that um, they're taking ownership for their own learning. Um, Ms. Smith is not really telling them where to start, but these are the, this is the criteria. And they love that they have the, the ability to um, take ownership for their learning and just really, they're excited about the different activities that are there. And they know that, you know, Ms. Smith's going to check on me, but I know that I have to do this on my own. And this, these are the choices that are provided for me. I think you see something similar when you're looking at individual learning paths because you're allowing students to learn and show their learning using different modalities. And so it's not that students necessarily um, should only show their learning one way or learn best only one way, but providing that opportunity for them to make a choice helps them own that learning. And so students are more interested and more engaged in the learning because they had a say in how they're learning and how they're going to demonstrate that information to the teacher. Personalized learning provides me the opportunity to introduce them or get them or, or, or get them started on the level that they already helped them grow and mature and, and to matriculate where they need to where they need to grow. You have to you have to find ways, those pockets of opportunities of how you can use personalized learning for students. And that's what it's about. It's based on what they the choices that are given to them, but it's based on their, their specific levels and needs that what that's beneficial to them. Chris, you know, we like to highlight the digital learning standards, which have been adopted in North Carolina and are moving into that implementation phase. Um, and so the, the biggest digital learning standard that personalized learning relates to is certainly that empowered learner where kids are taking ownership of their, of their learning. They're using digital tools to choose their learning pathways and they really have, they're in partnership with their teacher to move through their learning. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about choice boards, playlists and pathways, if you'd like some support with personalized learning, if you'd like for a DLC, just to kind of consult with you and look at the big picture of your curriculum and kind of just help kind of point you in the right direction or help you match some digital resources and tools to a unit of studies if you want to try to you know accomplish some of that ahead of time as we talked about in this particular episode feel free to reach out to your dlcs at dlc.wcpss.net thanks for listening to wake county digital learning feel free to share our show visit our website and stay tuned